0: I would like to read before I pray something in Revelation, verse 12, it's verses 10 through 11. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and of the power of His Christ has come for the accuser of the brethren, that's Satan, who has accused them before God day and night has been thrown down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and catch this last part, and they did not love their lives to the death. Love that. Let's pray. Father, again, we're reminded from this passage that there is a war going on. There's a war of ideas, there's a war of theology going on, and we know that there is the kingdom of darkness of Satan and the Kingdom of Light, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, battling, and been battling for millennia. And Father, we ask that you would give us insight into the, even the battle that's going on around us. We know that Satan and his, his demons have sought to influence people and world governments since the fall. His main objective as the great fiery dragon is to destroy and to kill. And to get it so that people never hear of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that they will spend eternity in hell because they've never been forgiven. And Father, help us to make the main thing the main thing. We're here to learn about Christ about his plan and purpose for us as master and that we are slaves. And Father, though we have the distraction of this world and the distraction of even this nation sometimes brings us down, I ask that you would refocus us right now. Help us to focus on what your word says so that we might get encouragement, that we would get direction, that we might see what our marching orders are. And for those times in my own life as well as our lives when we did get distracted, or perhaps even distracted right now, please forgive us for that. Help us to get our eyes and the mind's heart <laughs> uh, directly on the Lord Jesus Christ at this time and what he wants us to do. Lord, give us this wisdom so that we might glorify you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, today's message is Jesus is Lord. I've told you this story many times, but it's worth repeating. One of the things the early Christians had to do as a citizen or as um, one who lived in the Roman Empire was once a year to go to their local magistrate Basically, pinch, uh, get a pinch of incense, throw it into the fire, and repeat these words, Caesar is Lord. That's all they had to do. And by the way, they didn't have to not be a Christian, they just had to do that, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the one that's master over me. Obviously, for Christians, they couldn't do that. And because they couldn't do that, they were... Severely persecuted because their line was Jesus is Lord. So when we look at Jesus is Lord, I want you to understand, over the thousands and thousands of years since A.D. 70, or actually before that first century, many, 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 many people died just for that statement. Okay? That, that, is, that is our... That is our identity right there, that Jesus is Lord. Now again, some would say, well, does he have to be Lord? I like the article by C.S. Lewis in his one book, actually, where he said, liar, lunatic, or Lord? See, the world will tell you that Jesus Christ was a good teacher, most of the world, even Even false religions will say that, that Christ was a good teacher, a noble moral leader, a worthy example, but again, nothing more. They'll heap flattering honors and accolades on him, calling him a religious revolutionary who changed the world with a philosophy of self-sacrifice and unconditional love. In fact, it seems almost any description of Christ is acceptable as long as it's not shaped by by and based in the actual words of Scripture. But this idea of Jesus as merely a good teacher is is a complete fabrication. Now I want to read that again. The idea that Jesus is merely a good teacher is a complete fabrication, one born out of a desire to undercut or discredit the truth of his life and of his ministry. It's a concoction of cliches and platitudes meant to pacify and appease Christians so that they will direct their evangelistic efforts elsewhere. In other words, it's a lie. It's a lie. The idea that he's a good teacher, that's just a lie. C.S. Lewis described the inherent foolishness of claiming Christ as nothing more than a good teacher in his book, Mere Christianity, when he wrote this, quote, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that's Christ. Quote, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim that he is God. That is one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher, because he proclaimed himself to be God, right? Well, if, he's, if he proclaimed himself to be God, and now people are saying, well, he's a great moral teacher. No, he's not. He's a liar. If he's not God, a man who was merely, <clears throat> excuse me, he would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg, always <laughs> like that, or else he would be the devil of hell. or Lord, those are the only options to consider when it comes to determining the truth about Jesus Christ, end quote. So again, it's critical. This is a critical uh, subject that we're going to be undertaking today. See, we can't sit by and watch as the world distorts and perverts the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to stand up and say, no, he's not just a good teacher, because if he was just a teacher and not Lord, he was a liar and therefore he's not a good teacher, Now he is indeed the Lord, he is indeed, I trust your Lord, which we say our Lord. Those are the only options that we can have about Jesus Christ, of his life and of his ministry. We have to be very, very clear in proclaiming that he is the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at that just for a few moments as we get our hearts ready for the table Jesus is Lord. If you have your outline, it's in the bulletin. You may want to follow along. It kind of helps you along the process uh, because I'm not in one particular passage today. Is Jesus Lord? Is He sovereign? Is He the supreme one? Is He the master? Now again, over the last couple of weeks, we've been, we've been looking at the opposite of that. <coughs> And that is the word doulos, slave. And we've come to the conclusion that we are slaves of Christ. So as we've looked at being a slave of Christ, now I want to look at Christ as Lord. I could take many, many weeks to do that. We're not going to. We're just going to take one week just today and just look at the opposite. Because for every slave, every slave in order to be a slave had a master. And to be a master... A Lord meant you had slaves. It's kind of like a coin, two sides of the coin. If if there are masters, that means there are slaves. And if there are slaves, that means there are masters, two sides to this. So we've looked at doulos, now let's look at the word Lord or the word kurios. Now let's start right from the beginning of thinking about Christ. First of all, that He is God. He is God incarnate. Many, many passages we could go to. Give me, let me give you a couple. Matthew one twenty three. before He was born, the angel said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Jesus Christ is God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, or the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what? Was God. Jesus Christ is God. He goes on, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were created through Him. That's very important. Not only is Christ God, but all things were created by Him, which means He is the Creator. We are responsible to Him. Jesus Christ is God. That means eternal, sufficient God. The one and only, the second person of the Trinity. Let's move on a little bit closer to home, if you would. In other words, we're saying, oh, he's God, but now, how does he relate to the church, to believers? And now we go to a different word, which is the word head, kaphala. You can see it in Ephesians 5.23, it says this, that Christ, speaking of Christ, is the head of the church. He's God, but as it, as it pertains to the church, and we are his body, he is the head. Ephesians 5.23. Or Colossians 1.18, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself, that's putting emphasis, he himself will come to have first place in everything. You see the same thing in uh, Ephesians 1.23, that God the Father put all things in subjection under His feet, Christ's feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church. Now you might say, what is the word head referring to? Again, it means first or superior in rank, or the word supreme, or the word chief, or the word first in prominence. He's the head, he's the prominent one. By the way, all this stuff moves very nicely to the fact that he's our master. Because he's the head of the church. He is the head, he's the supreme one. In fact, the word kafala, kafale, uh, which is the word head, also can be translated master or lord. See, I mean, but not primarily translated that way. Uh, there's another word, despotes. We get our word despot. Again, used of Christ, idea, master. So we have that He's God, He's head, He's the despotas, He's the master. I mean, a lot of different words still always point to the same direction, that He is our Lord. But again, the word that is most prominent, because it appears hundreds and hundreds of times, Is the word curios. That would be our fourth word, or I guess in your outline it's the third word. I didn't really give you much on despotas. Um, It's the word curios, Lord. And again, it points to Christ as superior in rank and superior in status. Now, I say this because over the years, most, I mean, most of us use the word, the, the, the title, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, if it's the Lord's will. I mean, we use the Lord, Lord, Lord. But I almost think that we, we forget what we're saying. Because every Lord had slaves. See, when we're confessing Jesus as Lord, we are then confessing He is our Master, therefore we are His slaves. And that is why the the first century church... Would not be willing to take those incense and sprinkle it on the altar and say Caesar is Lord, because they knew to do that, well, you just words, just words, it's just Caesar is Lord, just do it, you know, just get it over with. Go on with your life. You can go worship him after that. Just do this. No, no. Because what they were saying is, I am his slave and he is my only master. And so they were willing to be thrown to the uh Wild beasts, they were willing to be torn apart, crucified, burned alive, stoned. Families destroyed. Uh, children sent to slavery. All because they were willing to hold to the confession. Their confession was, Jesus is my only master. So this is a very, very important statement. Again, in Roman times, the head of the household, the master, the lord of the household, possessed near total power over all members of his household, including his adult offspring. That's kind of interesting. So to say that Christ is the head of the church, is the lord of this church, is to say that he is the lord and master over the church, just like the word would have been used in the first century. It's interesting, by the way, how also uh, how many... Um, just some things about slaves and masters. Uh, Horace, the writer, said this, that ten slaves was the lowest number to keep for, quote, tolerable circumstances. So, I mean, like, if you were anybody to anybody, you had to to have at least ten slaves. Otherwise, it was intolerable. Two hundred was not uncommon for one master. So, like, if I was the master you got about 200 people here, right? I mean, that's how many slaves were in, you know, to make sure that my life was tolerable. I mean, it, it just blows our thinking when you start thinking in those terms. In fact, the Emperor Augustus allowed one who was going to be exiled, let's say he got in trouble with the government and you were exiled, he actually allowed up to 20 slaves that you could take with you to your exile because he knew it was going to be hard to keep your life tolerable. So even if you were a a master that went to exile, you could still have your slaves. That's how, see, because again, they looked at slaves as tools, talking tools. You needed talking tools to make your life easy. Again, we are part of God's household of faith, Galatians talks about that, and that the head of the household is God himself, is Christ. And therefore, we are part of his household. Now, I'm, I'm saying this because we are part of his household. And because we're part of his household, we are part of his um, group of slaves that he is, that, that, is, that is serving him. And as the Father has given supreme authority to the Son, having raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, as ephesians says far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also the age to come he has highly exalted Christ philippians chapter 2 9 and 9 through 11 revelation 19 says that Christ is the king of kings and the lord of lords there again that's word romans 10 12 says he is lord of all i'll give you another word first peter says that he's the chief shepherd Head over all things. I mean, it all points to one very, very obvious truth. I mean, for us, I'm not giving you anything that's not obvious in, in the truth itself. The obvious thing is that He is Lord. My question is, for myself and you, is, are we responding to Him as Lord? Because I think what happens over time as we use the word Lord, yeah, He's our Lord. He's our Lord. No, you have just confessed that He is your master and you are His slave. Now you might ask, uh, how is his lordship expressed in his church? And I would say this, through his word. This is what I mean by this. As the word of God is taught and studied and memorized and meditated on and preached, in other words, as we get an understanding of what his word is, the mind of Christ, as Corinthians says, And then as we take the word and apply it, and are obedient to it, that is how he is Lord in our life. Right? See, it's not some mystical thing. The word has been given so that we might understand this is what the master says. And now I will move in that direction. Again, obvious truth. I would think that would be obvious to you, but, but that's, but that's really how it is. To diminish the dominating role of scripture in the life of the church is to treat, as one man said, the Lord of the church as if his revelation were optional. And that, my friend, is mutiny. Right? That's mutiny. Then I can kind of pick and choose what the Lord says. No. This is the word of the master. So we need to get it right. It's interesting in the book of Acts that Jesus Christ is referred to as Savior twice. But he is referred to as Lord 94 times. Just the book of Acts. Now think about what the book of Acts was. Pentecost, believers, the church is being formulated. Who were they pointing unbelievers towards? Who were they referring? I mean, how were they referring to Jesus Christ? They weren't referring to him as savior. I'm, I'm not saying they didn't refer to him as savior, but not primarily. Only a couple of times is the actual word savior used in reference to Christ. Now, again, you see many other times where it's talking about repentance and belief, and those all also point to savior. I understand that, but the word savior itself just twice. 94 times to Lord. Why? Because the early church was driven to obedience, was driven to evangelize because He is our Master and this is what He's told us to do. If we got that I mean let's just take the reality. If we, if we felt like that, if that was became our march well, the Lord, the Master has told me to pray for salvation of souls, to be obedient to what He says, to share the word, disciple all nations, that's what I must do. Then we should be able to look at our lives over the last month. How has that been happening in your life to fulfill that, to fulfill that, um, that command, right? Sometimes we don't take, ah, you know, he, he made that suggestion. But, no, no, the early church was effective because he took, they took what Christ said as an absolute command. He is the master. Now, when we call Jesus Lord, we are acknowledging him again as our sole master. No one else. If you go from Acts to Revelation, just those books, Acts to Revelation... In reference to Christ as Lord or God as Lord, sometimes it's capital L O R D, you find it 439 times. All right, more than 400 times, Christ is Lord. Primarily of those 400 plus times, it's Christ. So, whereas 94 times in the book of Acts, there's another 300 plus times in the rest of the New Testament books. Over and over and over again, we see. That he is referred to as Lord. If you, if you just type in the word Lord Jesus, it's 116 times. I mean, just over and over again. I just want you to keep getting the, the understanding. Master is over and over again uh, presented uh, in the New Testament. Murray Harris, again, he wrote this book, Slave of Christ. Uh, it's been the best book. I've been using this a lot in the last couple of weeks. Um, but he writes this, when believers sing or recite the confession, quote, Jesus is Lord, we are affirming His absolute supremacy, not only over the physical and moral universe, because remember Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, not only in human history, Romans 9, 5, by the way, that brings me a lot of comfort in these next days. And by the way, my, you can pray for me and I'll pray for you, okay? Because there's... I, There's been times that I get real irritated and really almost depressed. I'm not the one that usually gets depressed. We need to pray for each other that we keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the one over all of human history. Let me go on with a quote. Not only over all of uh, human beings, you know, the Lord of all, whether living or dead, like Romans 14 says, not only over the church, because he's the head, but also over our own lives as his Willing slaves. The simple but crucial point is the two words "lord," which is kurios, and "slave," which is doulos, are interrelated. They're again, as I said earlier, they're two sides of the same coin. I, I hope, if nothing else, you will remember this thought. Like as you refer to Jesus as Lord, uh, you might even say, "Well, thank you, Lord, for something that you just got." That the when, you, the, when the word "lord" comes out of your mouth. Passes from your lips, you immediately remember, and I'm his slave. Wouldn't that be great? I think that would be life-transforming right there. Thank you, Lord. You're right. You're my. I'm your slave. You're not my slave. You're. I'm your slave. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, that's right. I'm your slave. In fact, uh, I think it was uh, Harris. He ended the quote by this, he said, you know, there is a certain quaint charm in being a quote, slave for Christ, a quaint charm in that, because we are accustomed to speak of ourselves as slaves only metaphorically. In fact, I had a conversation with someone in the last few weeks, and as I brought up the idea of slave, they said, yeah, you know, and I said, well, you know, th- th- that's why we always say Jesus is Lord. And, and I could tell by how the person was talking that they, they thought of Christ as Lord in a quaint way. Eh, he's my Lord. You know, I mean, like, you know, He just wants to meet all my needs. He's my Lord. No, no. We think of it metaphorically, quote, the reality was very different in the New Testament. The reality was that a Lord had full authority over his slaves. Now, I I went over these next five points in a different way from this way. Okay, Last week I looked at the characteristic of a slave from the slave's point of view. Let me give it to you now from a master's point of view. So this is point number three. What characterized a slave from a master's point of view? The master had absolute ownership over his slave. That was one. That was the first one I gave you. See, Colossians says he's our master in heaven. As we said last week, 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought at a price. We were bought with the precious blood of Christ. 1 Peter 1.19 Roman law considered a slave property. Talking property, but property nonetheless. Actually, we are God's property. That's really what we are. We're God's property. And as such, He has absolute control over us. We are a people for His own possession, Titus 2. Galatians 3 says those who belong, belong to Christ. Just like this cell phone belongs to me, we belong to Christ. So, ownership, absolute ownership. Number two, the Master demanded constant availability and unquestioning obedience from His slave. I love Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, and it seems like, by the way, do this right here. Could you do this for me? I guess you're all living. But if I live on in the flesh, now, now, now catch Catch what verse 22 says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. For Paul, this is how he thought, if I die, it's better to be with Christ. But if I live, I labor for Christ because he's my master, he owns me. To live for Paul meant to labor for Christ. We don't think sometimes that way you know, we have all our agendas and things we want to do and, you know, maybe go to church is part of it. Maybe doing service to Christ is part of it. But for Paul, that was it. If I die, better to be with Christ. But if I'm here, it will mean, quote, fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. I mean, I have a desire to be with Christ, but I also have a desire to be here. It's more fruitful for, for the uh, people of Philippi, for Paul to be there. So, to be alive at all means fruitful labor. in fact, you could say it this way: The slave existed only to work. The slave existed to work. maybe you didn 't catch that. the slave existed to work man that that is transforming right there i 'm here to work. Uh, the day is light and we can still work. The, the day is coming when we no longer can work. We work for the Lord right now. And I don't mean just evangelism. When you're a good wife, a good husband, biblically saying it, that you're working for the Lord. When you're raising your children, nurturing and of the Lord, you're working for the Lord. When you go to work with an attitude that is, exemplifies uh, Christ, you're working for the Lord. Right? All those things. To live means I work for the Lord. Because when he's, when he's done with us working here, then He takes us out of this world. Then we are at rest. That's what Hebrews says. We work now, but there will be a rest time. Oh, won't that be a great rest time? We're going to be with the Lord. So again, the Master de- demanded constant availability, unquestioning obedience. Obedience is the issue. 1 John 2 says this, By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we again keep His commandment. That means obey what He says, to glorify God in our bodies. Number three, the Master demanded singular loyalty and devotion, and allegiance from His slave. I've, we mentioned this passage in, in Matthew 6 over and over again. No man, no man can be a slave to two masters. We are told to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your um, all your everything. <laughs> because again, that's singular loyalty, that's devotion to him alone, all. To please him, as Colossians says, in all respects, we're getting ready for the Lord's table. We're going to be confessing him as Lord. Are you pleasing to Him in all respects? If you're not, please confess your sin to Him so you go before the table in a a proper way, in a pure way. Number four, the slave understood that he had total dependence on his master. Again, we don't have to worry about what we're going to drink and wear and eat. It's all provided. But let me add one piece here, like in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. No, excuse me, verse before that, verse 32. Don't be like the Gentiles who seek after all those things. I mean, they're always worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to have clothes on, because they don't have someone in heaven. But he goes back and he says, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all them. Your Heavenly Father. And with, when he uses that word Heavenly Father, he, he brings us from just slave status, which we always will be. And he says, but you are, as other passages of Scripture says, you're my friends, you're my sons, you're my daughters, you're my children. You are joint heirs and you are heirs. But always slaves. Always slaves. <clears throat> And then finally, the slave knew that the master's evaluation was the only one that really mattered because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Not God, Christ. We're going to be before His judgment seat because the Father has given all authority to the Son to be the judge. Now, go to Romans 14, will you? Romans chapter 14. I I know I've been in and out. And by the way, next week we're going to be in Titus 3. And the week after that... We start our series on Ecclesiastes, okay? You say, Titus 3, why, why are you going to Titus 3 next week? Well, I'm thinking of this, you know, we've been talking about being a slave, then we talked about Christ as Lord. We need to know how to live for our Lord in this world. So next week's message is going to be this, how do you live in a pagan world and still remain a solid Christian? So that's Titus 3. I hope that encourages you, and I hope it's not like, oh, I know what he's going to preach on, I'm going to skip next week. But that's, I thought, you know, we need to know as slaves how to live in a pagan world. But anyways, Romans chapter 14. Nowhere in the New Testament is the absoluteness of our Lord's ownership more clearly exemplified than right here. Okay? In other words, right here you get the clearest picture of how a slave responds to his master. Romans 14, verse 7, For none of us lives to himself. Really? (laughs) That's the fight of faith right there, right? Many of us do live to ourselves. But none of us should live to ourselves. And no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. Now notice the three times the word Lord is used. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And again, I think if we really take this to heart, and this has been one of the passages I've been meditating on, it gives you so much peace. Because quite honestly, if you really believe whether you live or die, you are the Lord's, that's just, there's really nothing else that can happen to you. But we forget that, right? I mean, as Christians, we forget. You know what, I'm his slave, and whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Again, verse 8, the master is the focal point of the slave's life. That's what verse 8 is saying. Everything is evaluated in terms of the master's pleasure and the master's profit. The absoluteness is depicted in temporal terms. The master's good reigns supreme. That's what verse verse 8 is saying. Whether in continuation of his slave's life, or with the advent of his slave's death. Everything has to do with the master's good reigns supreme. But our believers are divine property, invested at the discretionary will of the master for his own profit. Now, as we think more and more like that, doesn't that bring you peace? You know, again, I've been angst over the direction of our country. But the more I realize you know what it 's how the lord he reigns supreme, and whether his slave lives or dies i 'm his property, and the focal point of my life is him, and he will invest me where he wills he 's going to invest each one of us, and depending on the the direction i mean if it, if if Christianity is really really um, uh, Press down. I like what uh, Crawford Luritz says. This could be our finest hour. Many times God takes away the dross of all the th- trinkets of this world to get us right down to faith between Him, Him and us. Right? See, that was the uh, attitude of Ignatius the pastor from Antioch in the first century. This this is what Ignatius wrote. I mean, this was his attitude. I'm just a slave. I just want to be faithful to Christ. He, He wrote this. It is not that I want merely to be called a Christian, but actually to be one. Yes, if I prove to be one by being faithful to the end, then I can have the name Then he named some things that could happen to him. Come fire, come cross, come battling with wild beasts, the wrenching of bones, the mangling of limbs, the crushing of my whole body, cruel tortures of the devil. Only let me get to Jesus Christ. And he was killed. Other early martyrs responded similarly. If they consented... To the, uh, you know, what is your confession? They would say, Jesus is Lord. And many times what would happen is the magistrate that was trying to get them to say, Jesus is Lord, the magistrate would say this, Jesus, or excuse me, Caesar's Lord, would say, Caesar is Lord. You know, they'd have this like (laughs) verbal confrontation. And so, while the one is screaming, Caesar is Lord. Or, "I am a slave of Caesar," the Christian would respond, "I am a free man, the slave of Christ. I am a slave of Christ, because he is my Lord." Now I've just given you a couple old examples from the first century and centuries after that. Let me show today right now a uh, modern day. Jesus is Lord Confession. And this is of a woman who lost her three, her her husband and two kids, to radical Islam. And again, I don't know if you know, today is Voice of Martyrs National Day, okay, Voice of Martyrs. Uh, But again, watch this, this is a modern day Jesus is Lord Confession.
1: Almighty One, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Received this calling from the Lord but the Lord has got a purpose for us as a family to live out our love for him our love for the Afghans to serve and here we are God take our lives and make with us whatever you find pleasant and, and good in your purpose so it was a normal day for us and then I just went to the office and he was teaching that morning actually that was the routine every day and for the children if they didn't have a weekend or didn't interact with their friends they were doing schoolwork both of them have got a deep walk with the Lord and there's this hunger for the Lord that's very precious and they are growing they are growing in their faith day by day and it's wonderful to be their mom and experience how they are growing um and living their lives for the Lord in a place like Afghanistan. Most wonderful thing the parent can do for his child is to bring him up in the Lord's way so that he knows who his Creator is and that he can have a loving relationship with the Lord and live a life for that purpose. I've asked myself many times in the past, the Lord is this really where you want us? Because of all the difficulties, the challenges, we can lose our lives anytime for the Lord. When I look at that in the spiritual realm, I know that he will not take us to a place like Afghanistan and just dump us there and he doesn't have a plan and a purpose with that. So I know 100% that we are in the right place, that we are obedient to the calling Tell my children, um, John, Pierre and today, you will face a very difficult day today, um, and I'm not going to be there to help you, and Daddy is also not going to be there to help you, but Jesus is going to be there to help you through this, and he will be there. He promised never to leave us, nor forsake us. I believe they are in front of the Lord's throne, worshiping him, praising him, glorifying him. And that they are just waiting for me to finish the race as well.
0: So as we go before the table, I think the first thing you need to determine is if you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Have you truly received Him? I believe the second thing is, as a believer... That as you confess him as Lord, that you would walk with him as your master. As we've said, a slave, or a master rather, had ownership, a slave was available, a slave had singular loyalty. A slave understood that he had total dependence on his master. A slave only looked to the master for final commendation. Is that what's in your life? You know it's interesting again how we can read a passage over and over again. In our church we read it at least twelve times a year, but as I went back, think about this. It says for an eating each one excuse me. Um, each one of us need, uh, is not to eat, uh, t- together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. I mean, he uses the word Kyriath. And then in uh, verse 23 of First uh, Corinthians, it says, For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same... I mean, as we go to the table, every time we go to the table, we are confessing, you're, our, you're my master and I am your slave. In fact, at the very end of this, it says this, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Actually, as I was just meditating on in Corinthians, where we're at right now, it's like it just brought me and Lord, every time, four times in that passage, you refer referred to as Lord. You keep, I'm master, you're slave. That's what we're confessing. So, as Romans 14 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And, and Lord, as I get angst about this world, forgive me because I forgot that you're my master. And as I try to make my own little plans and build my own little kingdom, forgive me because you are the master. That's really why we come, not just to make sure our sins are taken care of, but to I, I really believe to recommit ourselves that He is Master. He is our owner, and we are His slaves. And Lord, forgive us for so many times agreeing with our flesh and going in that direction. So I would ask that those who are going to help me hand out these elements would come forward. And if you would all like to bow and talk with your Master. So in Christian freedom, we have been freed from is immediately succeeded freedom for. But let's think for one minute of what you have been freed from. You're free from spiritual death. We have eternal life. We have freedom from the fear of physical death. We are free from being chained to unrighteousness, sin. We are free from the fear of Satan. In fact, Sin, death, and Satan are called the tyrants of humanity. We're free from them. We are free from self-pleasing. We no longer have to live for ourselves, like Second Corinthians 5 says. We are free from people-pleasing. In fact, if we sought to please people, we are no longer the slaves of Christ. We are free from bondage of the Mosaic law and trying to somehow think we have to earn our salvation. Christ has given it to us free and secure in His death and resurrection. And finally, we are free from worry. Let me say that again. We are free from worry. Whether we live, we live to the Lord. Whether we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. The word worry, literally, if you trace it far enough down, means different direction, distracted, divided. When we worry, we are divided in our loyalties. Lord, is, Jesus is Master, but I've got to provide for myself. Well, your Heavenly Father knows. So when we worry, when John Prince worries, when you worry... That means we are distracted. we got to get our singular focus on Jesus Christ. Do you see how that works? It's very clear. That's how Matthew is. Don't be anxious for anything. Don't be worried about anything. Because when, as soon as we start worrying, when, when, as soon as I worry, I'm being distracted. I'm no longer singularly focused on Jesus Christ. You're, in your freedom in Christ, you don't have to worry. God will take care of us. Amen? Father, again, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the truth of the fact that Christ is master and Lord, that we are his slaves. And now we ask that you would dismiss us, that you would help us to remember these lessons and that we will now approach the world as your servants and as your slaves, in Christ's name, amen.